but um, I seen it and it was all I needed to see. And it's pure evil. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it. And I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why when you and I go out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why. Because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. The glorification I am state. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by it. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror, and that's not entertainment. It is dread. This is some of the Hollywood writers. It's simply appalling. The uh, night of the living dead, you know, the chainsaw massacre, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus on your life on night to see If you have horror movies and wicked movies in your home, those are gateways for Satan. Oh, uh, I mean, I don't know if any of you write, but the, when you finish the rough draft, that does not remotely mean you're close to done. Like, that's the easy part. The, the endless cycles of editing is going to take time, so it'll be a little while. Yeah, I feel that. But, I don't know. I have ambitions to write, but I, I have ambitions to never write a novel, so... <laughs> okay, well, you've already succeeded then. <laughs> yes, so I'm, I'm ahead of the curve, I think. <laughs> All right, so Critters. Critters, yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so welcome to the Horror Explorer podcast. This is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies they might have never seen or even heard of. We like to focus on VHS-era horror that most younger horror fans aren't aware of, and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that has come out since. So, hello guys, I'm Dave, and I know it's been a while, but once again, we have with us Eric. Hello. Liam. Hey, hey. And hey. Tim. Salutations. Okay, so every week... Mike makes whoever's here watch an older or more obscure movie that most people there slash our age might not be familiar with, and it's usually something he likes. And the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans like us aware that the best new horror movie they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they did not even know existed. This week, uh, Mike and Dave, well, Mike in absentia, really just Dave, made us watch Critters from 1986. That's the one. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit in the summer about doing this one. So I did watch it prior to this episode. Um, so it's going to be the first movie that I'm coming at with, you know, nostalgia, uh, four months <laughs> worth of it. Um, and prior to watching it, you know, back in the summer for the first time, um, I was familiar with it just from like, I think I'd stumbled upon the Wikipedia page a few times. I'd seen the poster. I knew the title just from like, late night rabbit holing on the internet but uh beyond that i didn't i didn't know the plot or anything it was all pretty new to me this is maybe one of my top 10 favorite horror films of all time maybe even in the top five because i grew up watching this uh movie oddly enough i was terrified of horror films when i was a child uh, my dad showed me the exorcist when i was four so it terrified me until i was about 12 or 13 years old wouldn't go near him but i could handle this it, it was kind of my speed not a lot of gore or anything like that and i liked the the scary monsters that i could deal with because they were small and stuff but so I, I grew up with this movie i've seen it a thousand times i'm so glad to be sitting here talking about it because it's great so yeah i was also scared of horror movies as a kid if we can like you know bond over that small detail. I think most kids probably were. 
No, but I mean, my fear of horror movies continued actually throughout most of high school. Oh wow! But anyway, what what about you, Eric? Or sorry, Tim. God damn it! Um, God, man, I don't feel like you don't value me for who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I had seen Critters, but I was about ten when I saw it, and I saw it on TV, so it was probably all edited and censored and shit. Um, so you know, I had vague memories of a few scenes, but. Uh, it was probably more new to me than not. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat because I saw bits and pieces of it on a streaming site with Mike a while back, and then I watched it in full on my own just because I felt like, oh, it's a classic. I should probably, you know, watch it. And then, of course, before this episode, I watched it again, and that's pretty much it. I don't really have any previous experience with this film because um, I've the only times I've watched it have been fairly recent, like within the past few years. So... I'm Eric, you're the one who's leading the charge on the how has this movie improved, and you as well, Tim, since you first saw it as a younger child and now. Okay, so in terms of what is this movie is about, it's about a group of rogue furry monsters that attack a small town in the middle of nowhere, which forces a traditional nuclear family to fend off these like creatures with the aid of two alien bounty hunters. And in terms of crew and cast notables, something interesting here is the creatures were designed, the critters were designed by the Chodo brothers, who we know as the directors and producers of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Which I still haven't watched. Awesome movie. Yeah. And also another notable is Billy Zane. Billy Zane is very, very well known for the classic and award-winning blockbuster called Demon Knight. <laughs> Is his hair any better in that one? Yes. Yes. I, I don't know. What else has he done? Has he done anything aside from Demon Knight? He's in, he's in Titanic um, as uh, Rose's boyfriend. I hate that I know this. but <laughs> uh, And he's, I mean, he was kind of like a uh, character actor. He, he was in uh, The Phantom. Uh, they did a movie version of the superhero, The Phantom. Okay. And he played The Phantom. But really, his career just never... He never really got off the runway. He just kind of, you know, puttered out. It just didn't... I think it was the eyebrows. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I knew him from uh, Twin Peaks. He was in, like, half a season of Twin Peaks doing a bit of a character part. And when I first saw him there, I was convinced that he must have done a bunch of other stuff because I thought he was kind of a... He was a good-looking guy. He had, he had a bit of a, a charm about him. But, you know, it seems like after Titanic, uh, you know, not much happened. I don't know. Yeah, my Demon friends and I always... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say Demon Knight is like the epitome of his acting prowess. It's really good in that movie. Yeah, I remember he made that film. He made Demon Knight become what it is. But what were you saying? I just can't tell if Eric's being sarcastic. Oh, no, no. I'm not. Like, I I really like his performance in Demon Knight. It's a a good movie, and he's really funny and uh, personal. I mean, like, he's magnetic in that movie. He never really brings that ability to any other role that I've ever seen him in. But in that movie, he did a really good job. He got close with the Phantom. And I know I sound like a fanboy. I don't really like Billy Zane, but I do like his performance in Demon Knight. I suggest if you haven't seen the movie to watch it because it's really good. Right on. Also, in Billy terms Zane of, Explorer podcast coming up. <laughs> We're just going to cover <laughs> movies that Billy Zane has been in, folks. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of other notables, I guess the director of photography for this, whose name I cannot pronounce, is the same director of photography as Idiocracy. 
So there's something there. Well, the kid, um, what's his name? Scott, I think his name is Scott Grimes. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's done a ton of stuff since, since he, Critters. Oh, really? I, I cannot think of his name right now, the actor's name, but you're right. He's actually right now, he's playing on the Orville. Yeah. Uh, somebody will correct me after this if I'm wrong, but I think his name is Scott Grimes and he's done. Scott. Oh, yes. You're right. Yeah, that's it. Dozens of movies and TV shows. It was on ER. Just aside from his acting stuff, dude, last night at like 5 in the morning, I spent about an hour and 45 minutes just watching videos on YouTube of this dude just like singing soft rock. Like he had a, he had a bit of a career like halfway through the 2000s and there's videos of him singing like Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson and Hugh Jackman is standing behind him clapping. I don't know. It's really, it's kind of a trick. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. This is, this is one of those other late night rabbit holes I went down and I was all the better for it. <laughs> you learn a lot right of on. those. <laughs> anyway, right. so we'll see what they have to say about critters right after this. If you'd like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer Podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer. And you can follow us on our Twitter account, at Horror Explorer. Anyway, now we'll see what these guys thought of Critters. So, let's begin with the beginning of the film. So, (laughs) the film opens with some really, like, ominous, foreboding music over the credits, and we kind of do a classic pan along a starscape to an asteroid that's slowly creeping towards the camera, so you get kind of, like, a sense of ominous doom. This doesn't make the most of its potential opening, because it's just a starscape. We've had far better starscapes in earlier films, like The Thing. Yeah, you're, like there is a time when starting a movie with like a shot of an alien planet in deep space was exciting to me, because I live on planet Earth. I don't get to see space that often. But like, just after being on this podcast already, you know, this kind of opening has just like I'm just jaded to it totally. It was <laughs> mm, didn't too much for me. We've seen a lot of movies that start in space recently, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in addition to that, we cut to an alien spaceship, and it's just the same standard sci-fi buttons and noises that we've heard a billion times before. They must be like stock sound effects that they're being drawn from like some archive. Yeah, they, they leaned real heavily on the Lucas approach from the Starscape beginning to uh, the aliens not being all humanoid, you know, types, and the buttons and the dark corridors and stuff like that. It looks like the Millennium Falcon, so, yeah. Yeah, Can definitely. I be that guy that punches a hole in this entire movie right now? Yeah, yeah. So Punch it. this this vessel is approaching Fioria one six seven or whatever this desolate asteroid prison is, and they've got these critters on board. I think you said there were ten of them. Yeah, and they're obviously intending to incarcerate these carnivorous aliens. And my question is, especially at the end of the movie, my question is why. Like, I mean, he even said that there was an incident on board and they had to kill two of them or something. What are you putting them in jail for? Are you going to rehabilitate them? Like, if they're that much of a threat, why are you not just flying this ship into a sun and being done with it? (laughs) See, Okay, I'm done. Sorry. (laughs) This may be a problem. I agree with you. They don't ever go into what the Kreitz actually did to have to be imprisoned or why they would even bother. Uh, They address this much later in the series. In fact, at the very end of the third movie, uh, they... They explain that you can't kill all of them. 
because they're the last of the species. That's so, not a reason. Well, there sure you can't. That the Galactic Federation, or whoever runs this this uh, prison, or these, or, or is the boss of the bounty hunters, tells them you can't kill them all. These are the last of the species, so we have to just kind of keep them in somewhere. I guess I don't really know okay. why. I would have killed them. I agree. It's not a very good reason. But. Goddamn bleeding heart activists. <laughs> Critters has deep lore, you guys. Jesus. Yeah, I know. How many movies were there total? Like four, four, right? Three? Four. Four, damn. And one was Critters in Space. So. Mm, for now, yeah. man, like this this series it seems ripe to me for a remake or a friggin' a prequel. <laughs> Sounds like we need some questions answered. I don't know. Yeah. This the effects were fairly modern for the most part. The starscape and miniatures of the spaceship and the asteroid look really bad, but the effects of the critters themselves are really good, in my opinion. When the stop motion thing they did with Ugg's face later on in the movie, I thought was really well done too. I don't know who you're talking about with Ugg. The the bounty hunter when he changes. Oh yes, yes, yeah. And speaking of the bounty hunters, so the critters make some sort of escape. Another plot hole question is, how did the critters escape in the beginning? Like, how did they escape to begin with? Like, what happened? It's not a make-or-break-the-movie question, but just kind of, why was this not addressed, you know? And there's instant escape. There's no build-up or anything through editing or anything. We haven't even seen the critters, but all it does is establishes that the critters are intelligent. Yeah, it was... uh... They were just trying. I, they were trying to wait as long as they possibly could for a reveal. But I'm with you. It, it does lead you to be like, "What happened here? Why?" It, it, I agree. It is well done. And the bounty hunters are called in to return the critters and kill the critters. And we get some sort of like arming montage, you know, kind of like in Evil Dead when this, uh, he puts the chainsaw on his hand and whatnot. However, um, the here the arming montage is kind of lame. Because it's just them, like, putting on normal clothes and just putting, like, a regular knife in their pocket. And it makes, like, kind of like a lightsaber noise when the knife goes in the guy's pocket when there's really nothing that would make that noise. And it's just a regular knife. <laughs> like, they might as well be getting ready for school. And it's just edited. Like, it's fucking Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> oh, no. I think you guys are going to ruin one of my favorite movies because I agree. <laughs> You don't know what their secret leather daddy powers are. <laughs> They're just picking up their stuff. Yeah. And the music and editing it's makes it seem like it's supposed to be something grand when really, unfortunately, I just can't get behind it. You're supposed to be. I think if they'd already had uh, Ugg turned into Terrence Mann, uh, Johnny Steele or whatever, and he could have like flipped his hair at the end of that whole thing, maybe it would have made a difference, but... Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's kind of silly. They did their best. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we move on to planet Earth. We're going home now. So we get a kind of <laughs> sort of... <home. laughs> yeah. E.T. <laughs> come home. <laughs> it's been a long day. So <laughs> we get an opening that's reminiscent of Tremors, even though obviously Tremors hasn't come out yet. But it's kind of that opening that establishes the natural world before the aliens hit. So we get like a farmhouse, we get an axe and wood to foreshadow future violence, we get a windmill, a lot of stuff like that that shows how like standard and how small this town is. And we get a scene that made me realize that I'm an idiot right here in the beginning. The the scene with the boy, the teen boy in the bathroom, I, 
I thought it was a pregnancy test, the thing that he's holding <laughs> under the water. <laughs> so I thought to myself, why is a teen boy taking a pregnancy test and then running it underwater? And then I realized I'm an idiot. It's a thermometer. Carry on. Ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we cut into this, like, house, and it's just a very, very standard, traditional nuclear family. There's a father and a mother. The mom is, like, a stay-at-home mom. The father is, like, a hog farmer or something, or a mechanic or something to that effect. He lives on a farm. Who cares? Hog and mechanic. Hog mechanic, that's possible. Much like how a doctor is, like, a body plumber, you know? Uh, he's like, just a hog mechanic. He's actually a veterinarian. <laughs> But then we have a daughter introduced whose name is April, and we get a son who's introduced who's younger and whose name is Brad. And the daughter is wearing, like, a nice, like, floral printed dress that is the same dress that the mother is wearing. So I thought, and that's the same dress or the same print that is on the wallpaper of the house. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's establishing, oh, they're so innocent, you know, they're so nice, and, like, they're wearing, like, a floral dress. So it just establishes how wholesome this family is and how traditional or just really poor and she's wearing wallpaper yeah <laughs> <laughs> a, hand, a hand-me-down dress they made two out of them yeah that, that's a good point though I, I like the word wholesome um i totally felt that too I, I grew up in a sort of country setting like this and so i related to that i thought it was pretty cozy and i just thought there's there's some opening um there's some bickering around a, a breakfast table with the the two siblings and and the mom and dad are in the kitchen preparing breakfast and getting ready for the day and I was kind of into it, man. Um, I, I was very cozy. Brad kind of looks like my best friend from elementary school, so I felt that too. I was feeling it. Um, Brad was my boy, so I, I had a connection to these guys and I was uh, I was excited to see what would happen to them. As far as wholesome goes, they also cast uh, D. Wallace as the mother, and she popped up ah. she's she's in Cujo she's in um well uh pretty much a, everything in the 80s she was always the mom character and that's she's no different here so but she kind of epitomized wholesome for that era mm-hmm. and uh talking about how they they achieve that warm feeling there's a lot of small touches I like the carafe that she gives him to pour the the uh <clears throat> coffee out of and then he pours it into a mason jar glass which is such an authentic touch uh i thought that did a really good job yeah i don't know that's a good that's a good point you articulated it better than i could yeah i just really like the dynamic between this whole family even though the characters don't get really explicitly fleshed out later on and no character really undergoes a specific arc the family dynamic is still solid the relationship between the brother and sister is made intentionally, quote-unquote, strained throughout the film because the brother is shown, like, playing tricks on the sister and, like, kicking her under the table, like you already mentioned, and stuff like that. And towards the end of the film, I'm not revealing it yet, but they have kind of a forced bonding moment that is supposed to portray an arc in their relationship but really does nothing but draws attention to how thinly their characters are portrayed. I'm, I'm just going to clarify. You did say bonding, right? Forced bonding? Yeah, forced bonding. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I like this scene in the beginning where uh, we've established that Brad plays pranks on his sister. Fairly harmless boy stuff. But then there's a quick shot where he's in his room and he's, like, arming up. He's getting his prank supplies to go do something to her. And he gets a slingshot and then he gets, like, a tiny little firecracker. And then he gets, like, this 14-inch pipe bomb. I'm like, well... <laughs> that escalated quickly. I don't know if we want to kill her. Yeah, yeah, he, that's his plan. 
I actually He's more I, equipped than the aliens at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually had that same thought. Like, what happens is the sister and her boyfriend. I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but they go to like a farmhouse to make out, and the brother Brad sees them, so he arms himself and. He arms himself with this huge, like, firecracker. And I'm like, oh, no. Is he going to, like, blow up the barn? Is he going to kill them? Like, what's he going to do? <laughs> that was a pipe bomb. That kid was making explosives. <laughs> yeah, that looks pretty suspect. The ATF would be all over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we need to talk about Brad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that reference. Good job. <laughs> so, um... Anyway, so right after this introductory scene of the family, we cut to a police station in which a police officer goes in and he lets the town drunk named Charlie out of prison and they have a brief exchange. The town drunk is like, oh no, there are aliens and no one believes him because he's the town drunk, etc., etc. Very standard, conventional stuff. And at one point, like this establishes this town as kind of a nothing happens town like the big event of today is a bowling tournament there's really no crime going on well i I, first of all uh two things about charlie one he just happens to be my favorite character in the series because he's in every movie um I also like the fact that the way this movie kind of tells its story is they treat entire groups or as like a character. Like the, there's a parallel story that, that runs here of uh, the bounty hunters in the town and the critters on the farmhouse. And then the town kind of play is it plays together as one whole character uh, versus the bounty hunters. And then like the family unit on the farm is kind of like the character on the farm. The only singular character in the movie besides Ugg the bounty hunter that has an, any arc at all is Charlie. So Char- Charlie's actually the most important character in the movie. Uh, moving forward, he certainly is because Brad is in the first two, but Charlie's in all four. And I thought that was really strange, a strange choice that to have Charlie be the crossover between these two, you know, parallel storylines. That's interesting. And I think maybe he was used as such because he's kind of rejected from the town. He's kind of like on the outskirts of the town because he's just the good-for-nothing drunk. So, right. like, the intersection. And it's also nice that they let him have his liquor in the drunk tank. Yeah, that was nice Nice of them. <laughs> <laughs> After the police office scene... So, oh, another nice thing about the police office scene before we move on a little bit is the sheriff turns towards the camera and says, Man, this town is a zoo. So... <laughs> foreshadowing the critters coming to the town there's a lot of nice foreshadowing here um just throughout the film it's a lot of like really standard setup and payoff that's really nice and i'll keep acknowledging stuff as it occurs but it's just a nice touch like that that makes you appreciate films that are well constructed like this as opposed to films where just shit happens and nobody gives a shit so we get a scene with the mercenaries doing like a bit of shape-shifting inside the um inside their ship and something interesting is we kind of get a commercial break for the song called power of the night and i'm not really sure like what's up with this song but it seems like the movie was sponsored by this song actually this song was written specifically for the movie it was sung by terrence mann who played ugg the bounty hunter uh they used to refer to uh terrence mann as discount tim curry when I was younger and which is funny because he went on to play uh, Dr. Frankenfurter on Broadway in the Rocky horror show. 
and he is a really gifted stage actor. Uh, he is a singer. He put out albums, uh, and he's he's really good at what he does. But it's hilarious that this is one of his earlier roles. And he, yeah, they got him to sing the song and everything. And man, do they love this song! Yeah, they're very proud that they got this song, and good for them. You know, they got this uh, like an original song for their film. Yeah, the Academy snubbed the- critters that year. <laughs> One of the bounty hunters picks a face and puts his face on, and the other one, like, I don't know his name, fucking Carl or whatever, <laughs> just doesn't. Like, Ugg tells him two or three times, he's like, man, pick a face. And the other guy's like, no, I'm just going to be green jello face for half the movie. His, his name is <laughs> his name is Lee. They're Ugg and Lee. Okay, great. Mm. I, I see where this is going. <laughs> hey, that's weird. That's what my parents always used to call me. <laughs> And I guess they were a fan of Critters. <laughs> that must have been I, it. I make fun of them using the song a lot. However, there is, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but in the 80s and the 90s, I know that you younger people wouldn't know this, but it, because music really only came on the radio or on MTV or maybe VH1 if you, were, if you had cable or if you were watching, but if a song was a hit, you could not escape that song. You were going to hear that song at least three or four times a day. And... That, they kind of do that with this song. Like, it's on, you know, she turns the TV on later and it's on. He's watching it on the ship. It's played later on in the movie. It's like, its song is everywhere. And that's realistic. It, you know, I don't know if they needed that amount of realism, but it's there. <laughs> I thought they were just pushing that song really hard. No, back when MTV actually played music videos, yeah. That's why I refer to the summer of 96 as the dark summer, because the Macarena was number one for four months. <laughs> Okay, so after this scene uh, of the mercenaries kind of like changing their shape and whatnot, we get an introduction to April, the daughter's boyfriend, who's some like city slicker who comes driving up into like a really with a really fancy car and everything. Uh, his name is Steve. He's played by Billy Zane, and his character is kind of inconsequential because all his character is is fodder to get killed later on. But he has a few funny moments where the father walks up to his fancy car and goes like, uh, you can't haul much hay in that. And he's like, no, you can't. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and we also get a good lot of not foreshadowing, but like setup with the little boy playing with firecrackers again and playing with a slingshot, which foreshadows how that sort of stuff is going to be used in the future. Just throughout the film to combat the aliens. Yeah. And also we get like our first very, very overt product placement in the film we get a coke can that the boy is trying to hit with his slingshot i don't know if you guys like noticed that but it like distracted me it was so overt yeah i did notice it but i was more worried about his his atrocious range safety practices <laughs> like, like uh shooting at a coke can with his sister right behind it like come on man yeah and the town drunk ends up hitting the sister and the sister chases after the little boy screaming about it and i'm like Dude, your like boyfriend is like right there. Why are you acting like you're twelve with like your eighteen year old boyfriend right there? <laughs> it is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, especially when the boyfriend is Billy Zane. I mean, come on. Uh, and that mullet. God, the mullet ponytail combo. Oh God, oh, business in the front. <laughs> <laughs> And then we cut to a dinner scene with just everyone eating corn on the cob once again. Oh, look, they're so wholesome. Oh, look, they're so, like, country. This is how, like, backwards they are, you know? Not backwards, but, like, 
you know, how in the past they are, how simple. Yeah, better times. Better times, yeah. The father drinks oh. beer from a mason jar. Yeah. And also, the city boy is, like, remarkably stupid, because the daughter goes up to him and is like, hey, uh, we're going for, like, a ride, like you promised me, remember? Wink, wink. And he's like, what? I didn't hear anything about that from you. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Just go <laughs> along with it. <laughs> Billy Zane is the most wholesome character in this movie. <laughs> And I think the father is, because the father says, have you given the daughter the talk yet to the mother? And the mother said, years ago. <laughs> oh, no. And then the father just says, given it to her for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, she's been, like, bouncing from guy to guy. Because she's on the phone with Billy Zane, and then the mom's like, oh, is, are you talking to, like, Charlie again? And then the daughter's like, nah, I moved on. I moved quickly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Not, not Charlie, the town drunk that inappropriately hangs out with the twelve-year-old and blows things up. <laughs> different Charlie, I guess. Maybe different Charlie. Maybe same Charlie. I don't know. <laughs> there's not. There's slim pickings in that town. Eventually, you gotta just <laughs> settle for the town drunk. I mean, people wonder why there's so much incest in the South, but <laughs> not a lot of choices. Exactly, not a lot of choices. <laughs> And to be fair, he is from the city. This may have been the best meal he'd had in years. He just wanted, didn't want to get up from the table. That's true. That's true. Sex? Nah, I want these biscuits. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Yeah. There's so many jokes, actually, that this film could have turned into, like, a wacky teen sex comedy, like Porky's or something. <laughs> I love your first movie was Porky's. <laughs> Anyway, so at this point, the aliens have landed on Earth. We get like a stupid, oh, I just thought the Earth move joke during like a makeout scene. It's not even during a sex scene. Like, come on, guys. Like, this is a wholesome film. And something weird is there's a bit of weird sound perspective sometimes. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but sound perspective is like relative volume based on like characters' distance to the camera. And the father and son go out to like the field to go check out like what made that loud noise. What made the earthquake? Is it aliens? What was it? Was it a Russian satellite? Who knows? And as they walk away for a while, their as they walk away from the camera for a while, their sound does not decrease in volume. And it really made it stand out as being like poorly mixed. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't notice. No. I didn't notice. <laughs> okay, great. Mike's right about you, man. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I normally don't make comments like that anymore, you know, but it just stood out as particularly, like, obnoxious in this movie. Listen, I'm a filmmaker. It annoyed me. <laughs> yeah. And I have to disagree on one thing, though. That Earth move joke was maybe the best one in the movie. Okay, I just thought it was a little too easy. It's it, That's why it was so great. It's like, wow, really? <laughs> I, I almost made the joke, oh, much like the daughter. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to go there. I had to go there. Moving on. So the brother slash son literally falls on top of a dead cow carcass that's horribly mutilated. And I thought the special effects were pretty solid. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, just going into like the technical aspects for a bit, like the lighting and cinematography is all very spot on because it, lighting does a really good job of hiding what is necessary with creatures. With a lot of like 80s creature features and horror films, like the lighting normally is too bright and we see too much of the creature that reveals like the shitty practical special effects. But here, the lighting is 
keeps the creatures in shadow well enough that the design works really well in context of the rest of the film. I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree on that point. Oh, I do. Yeah, for sure. You you never really get a good look at what these things look like until over halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. And I love that the the movie um, takes place largely over one night. It starts when the sun's high and they're they're doing their farming stuff and eating breakfast, and the sun starts to set as they're you know eating their corn on the cob. And then by the time the aliens come, um, the entire house is dark and the fields dark and the farmhouse is dark, and that's when they start playing with shadows and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought uh, that thought it worked really well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great observation timeline. Yeah, and we get a lot of like closer, quicker shots of the critters as well. For example, the power goes out in the farmhouse, and the telephone dies. So the father goes downstairs to like the cellar or whatever to you know check things out as one does. And yeah. he walks towards one of the creatures, and we got get a lot of like quick inserts of the creature when the creature lunges forward and attacks the father. And we get actually a surprisingly effective ragdoll moment because normally. Like, in, if we take something like Deadly Eyes, for example, you'll get a giant rat who lunges towards a guy, and the guy's just hugging the giant rat to, like, keep the rat on him, you know? Because the rat is just, like, a practical effect. Here, it looks very convincing. So the actor does a very good job, as well as whatever special effects technicians put the creature on the guy's shoulder. I agree. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, We're right around Christmas time now, so, like, I just watched Christmas Vacation recently with Chevy Chase. And there's a scene where there's a cat in a box and he's acting like the cat is moving inside. And so I think my mind was on that. And so I noticed this ragdoll thing, too. And I thought this guy was a regular Chevy Chase. Totally. <laughs> and can we, uh, can we rewind to the scene where Billy Zane is uh, mildly concerned about losing his fingers? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So the critters- Probably the worst scene in the movie, acting-wise. <laughs> <laughs> the critters invade a barn where the girl, April, and Billy Zane are making out. And Billy Zane kind of, like, stretches his fingers forwards to, like, a haystack or something, and one of the creatures just bites off his fingers. But he doesn't look all that disturbed by it. He kind of just looks at his hand, doesn't really scream. And I'm like, man, that's the face I make when I just realize I I left my phone in the house and I have to go back and get it. (laughs) (laughs) should be a little more concerned about missing most of your hand. But he just kind of doesn't care. And then they do that edit where uh, they attack him, and they uh, they switch to the mom shoving shit down the garbage disposal. Yeah, that's Ooh. a really good edit. Yes, yes, uh, classic, classic bridge there. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Like we see that a lot in Piranha too, the original Piranha. Um, stuff like that. Just it's very standard, you know, but it's surprisingly overlooked. And by a lot of like filmmakers, by a lot of editors. So it's nice to see that this movie uses uh, conventional techniques to their fullest extent. So on a technical level, this movie is very, very solid. Well, see, uh, you could be forgiven for looking at this movie and thinking that you weren't going to get anything that was actually made with care, and because it it does have that B movie feel. But I'd like to point out like the the attack in the basement on the father, the patience that they show. uh, up to the reveal of the critters in this scene is really, really uh, impressive because between escaping the penal colony, stealing a ship, cutting the power to the house and the phone lines, they establish these crites as an intelligent and credible threat uh, because 
they coordinate together and they communicate between one another. And when you finally see them, they use swarm tactics and spines to incapacitate much larger prey. And they did such good character development with the family up until this point, at least getting you to letting you know who they are. Cause they're the only ones that really deal with the critters in the movie. Uh, you're instantly afraid for these characters because these creatures are definitely a threat. They're not just some little leeches that landed on a planet and you're not really taking them seriously. So normally the creatures are not as intelligent as their human, that the humans are going after or what have you. But in these, they're, they do such a good job making you afraid of these things and the seeing these little tiny balls that I thought that that was really well done. Yeah. I have a term for this kind of movie. Um, I call it a B plus movie where mm-hmm. It's that low-budget vibe, just like everything that was made in the 80s. But um, it's apparent right away that they took a lot of care and a lot of attention to detail. Um, the critters themselves look really stupid, but I think that's kind of deliberate. They're supposed to be this weird mix of, like, this thing looks retarded, but, oh, my God, it's also really scary. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, everything is sincere and, and charming and genuine in all the production values. Yeah, and like you said, the mix between, oh, this creature is wacky and this creature is scary, we get a good mix of horror and comedy throughout the film because the mercenaries never really provide a point of, like, horror in the film. They're always, like, comic relief almost, even though their interactions with their environment are very serious. Like, they're to the audience. The interactions with the environment are very comical. And... um this combination of horror and comedy is pretty well illustrated when two critters like approach the doorstep after the family has barricaded themselves into their home and one critter says to the other oh like they have weapons what should we do and then the other critter says who cares and then the mother points the gun out the window and blows one of the critters away killing it instantly and the other critter the surviving one says fuck (laughs) just rolls away alien gibberish and just fucking subtitles like i cracked up at that part yeah that's a fantastic joke like a lot of the jokes land in this film yeah and like you were saying with the bounty hunters being kind of comic relief even though they're super serious um i think it's either right before or right after this scene where for some reason they crash into a church and like go into the church and i could just see the newspaper headline the next day of leather daddy's assault church with leaf blowers <laughs> i'd search for that video on pornhub <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what these weapons they have are but they're clearly leaf blowers like with little yeah. little done to hide that fact just a little doohickey on the end to make it look like it's extending the barrel yeah. yeah like a combination well, combination between a leaf blower and like a proton pack you know <laughs> I, I always got the feeling right that the the bounty hunter story cracks me up. I, it has to be a, like you're right; it's played for comedy because these are like the the loose cannon guys that you call in when you have a messy and embarrassing job and you don't care how it gets done because they do not care about keeping a low profile at all. They just show up, start blowing shit up, knocking stuff over, crashing into things, and they do not care. They just leave a wake of destruction on the way to finding the Christ. I was never clear on what they were looking for at the church. So was that explained and I just missed it or were they just fucking around? I really – the thing is is they track the the alien ship to the planet and it's sitting in a field by the the farmhouse. Yet they're walking around the town like going into the bowling alley and blowing shit up and messing up the church. They don't go toward the farmhouse to the very end. It's like, where are you guys doing? They're trying to find Jesus, man. (laughs) 
I think they were looking for hints, you know, looking for maybe. clues, following the trail. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> looking for clues, yeah. <laughs> they needed a map and a monkey. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, the family has dealt with a few of the critters, but their resources are kind of running low. So they're kind of holed up into the one of the bedrooms. I'm not sure which one. So the young boy decides to climb out the window and he kind of runs onto the road and makes it past all the critters and everything. And he runs into the bounty hunters. So the, he combines forces with the bounty hunters to go back to the home where the rest of the family is still dealing with the critters. Yeah, so this kind of like, when this happened, I, I realized that we were coming to the climax now and stuff was about to go down because it was these characters that are kind of from two separate, you know, not timelines, but concurrent stories that were taking place throughout the whole movie. And now with Brad um, finally meeting these other characters and bringing him back to the setting that we're so familiar with at this point, which is the house, I kind of understood that stuff was about to go down and um, I thought it was a good way to usher us into this third act. Yeah, like uh, we've been talking about, it's a very like traditional way to end a film when like you have two parallel narratives. Yeah. Excuse me. However, um, what happens is the mercenaries come in at a point that's not really dire for the family. The family is just walking downstairs, fighting the critters off like normal, and then the mercenaries just like bust in and blow up everything. So that's a good. That's a good point. Normally, it would happen when the mother is like clutching her injured father and uh or injured husband and daughter like in the corner as the giant creature is like walking over them and it's only a few feet away and the shadow is like cast right over them and the mother is like screaming somebody help us somebody help us and then the wall behind them blows up and covers the creature in like bricks or whatever and the mother and daughter like run out of the room and then the mercenaries come in to handle the monster you know it's stuff like that whereas in this film i just give a very elaborate scenario a scenario that is far too elaborate for what i needed to illustrate the point but in this scenario the family is just walking down the stairs fighting off the creatures like they've been doing they're not really at a dire point that needs the mercenaries it's Go ahead. It was at this point that I really realized who we're dealing with. I mean, these guys are basically discount Dave's dime store mercenaries. Like, you know, they come in, and if you've been keeping track, the family has already killed most of the critters. Um, two or three have abducted the sister, or they're about to, and run off into the woods, but I think there's only one left in the house. So Ugg, the, the Johnny Steel guy, just comes in, and the one still in the house is just in the toilet because it was on fire and it just jumped in the toilet to put itself out. And he just comes in and just blows the toilet up. And then he looks around like, I'll bill you later. Like, thanks. We, you showed up just in time. We couldn't have done it without you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was getting ready to say. Hilariously, as you pointed out, that is the only critter that they kill in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> they blow that town to shit. They kill one critter in a toilet. Yeah. And the 12-year-old kills one with a fan. So. <laughs> yeah, and this moves us into kind of the climax of the film, which, once again, is quite similar to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, because, or something like, I don't know, 10 Cloverfield Lane, in that the little boy and the town drunk run to where the UFO landed, and the UFO is driving off with the sister, 
they manage to rescue the sister just like under the nose of the creatures and then the drunk has had like a cocktail or whatever or like a whiskey bottle so they form a mock molotov cocktail throw it into the ship the ship flies overhead blows up the house just for shits and giggles and then the <clears> ship explodes and destroys all the critters well you're you're forgetting the crucial plot point because I want to preserve the integrity of this final battle. You mm-hmm. forgot that the, that Brad threw the pipe bomb that he was going to use to kill his sister into the <laughs> but he didn't get to light it. So they threw the Molotov in there, which presumably lit the pipe bomb. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Strategy. I think the best thing that the critters did was blow up the house just to be assholes. That was <laughs> yeah. great. And they didn't do that in the, from the outset? Like, I don't know. I know, I know. I thought their ship didn't work anymore. Like that's why they crashed. Well, I'm, the, I'm asking too many questions. Yeah, they just they. It's like I guess they stopped for a snack. Maybe they didn't crash. They were just like we're going to stop here and eat and leave. And there's this one thing that they abandoned uh, in the later series or movies in the series. But in this movie, the critters get exponentially bigger uh, as they eat. Like one of them gets like to the size of a person. And uh, they, uh, when they kidnapped the uh, sister, and I always, when I was a kid, I thought about how cool it would be if they did a critters movie where it was like one critter egg left, and it was some critter out in the woods, and it like grew to the size of like a bear, and they had to go into the woods and fight the bear-sized critter. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, I they, think... they didn't, they didn't do that, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they. I don't. I always thought they just stopped to eat, and they were just going to leave when they got done eating the family. And, they, and then when the, the bounty hunters show up to the house, they're like, oh, shit, party's over. And they grab the sister for a snack and just take off. Yeah, because it's not the family who's killed most of us. And we we didn't just cut and run earlier, but it's only when the bounty hunter that doesn't even care shows up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much it. Actually, the oh, bound, one last thing. The final, ba- final shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bounty hunter gives the little boy like a button and says, call me. And then the bounty hunters fly off into the distance. And then the little boy presses the button or the button beeps or something to that effect when they're standing outside their ruined house. And the house rebuilds itself and everything goes back to normal. And I'm like, oh, I guess everything's fine. But did everyone forget about Steve, the boyfriend who died? I guess nobody cares about Billy Zane. But, like, everything rebuilds itself, but why didn't they bring Billy Zane back to life? I I actually hate this part of it. This is the only part of the movie that I can't stand because it's so stupid. Like, okay, so they have some technology that can just rebuild your house brick by brick. But then I thought, watching it this time, that if these are the guys who just show up and blow everything to hell, maybe, you know, to keep the, the cost low for their company that they work for, they just gave them this reconstruction. They're like, you need to blow everything to hell just at the end. Don't forget to, you know... You know, click and and make everything go back to normal, and maybe that I don't know. I, maybe that's why they developed it. I, I find it hard to believe that that technology would be less expensive than just not wrecking it in the first place. <laughs> I mean, true. That that can be an inexpensive techno technological uh, innovation. Yeah. There, I think it's like somebody got an idea and nobody said, "Hey, maybe not." <laughs> well, is there a is there a director's cut or anything that has a different ending? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I just, like, I think it would have been a hell of a lot funnier if they just left the house leveled. Yeah, like the, an alien just gives your preteen son a, a cell phone, and that's not weird, and you would let that happen. And he just gets and to keep then, it. Uh, yeah, and then and then the final shot, we see that, of course, there's a couple 
critter eggs in the barn about to hatch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's right when you when you think, where's the stinger? We get the stinger. And it's just very set up that sequel. Yeah. It's such an 80s trope, just having the stinger, you know? So it's to be expected. That's that. Do you guys have any scenes we didn't cover or any topics we didn't cover that you'd like to open up to discussion or for discussion? I've got two things. Okay. Uh, one is about the movie. Uh, there's a scene where the sheriff, Harv, of the town gets called in the middle of the night to come check out the disturbances when the bounty hunters show up and they start blowing shit up. I, uh, I no longer do, but I smoked for 10 years. When he gets up out of that bed, he's hacking up a lung, and there's a pack of cigarettes sitting beside of the bed on the bed on the nightstand. That is the most real shit in this entire movie. <laughs> so there's that. I just wanted to point that out. Number two, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Tammy Holbrook. Love you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Throwback. <laughs> Wait, is she in this? Or no, is this no. Just, okay, this is your internal beam. I didn't want... A, 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 one of my appearances to go by without mentioning her. She's now. Okay, my, gotcha. Give Mike something to cut out. I <laughs> Absolutely. Oh boy. Yikes. <laughs> I'm, I'm 21 now. I'm old enough for Tammy. <laughs> Tammy Holbrook it will is fine as long as you're above like 16. You know, whatever the legal age is in Canada. <laughs> Tim, Liam, and no, any I think like we hit all the, the high points. For okay. Me. I'm realizing now, looking back at the entire movie, that I think the thing I was most into that was appearing in all these different scenes was um, the young kid Brad. I thought his acting was like super good, and I don't know. I don't really know what it was. Like I think his big Oscar scene would have been when his dad was being mauled in the basement, and he's he's trying to go down to save the day, and D. Wallace is like holding him back. He's like, no, nah, mom, no, nah, I need to save the day. And then a little while later, uh, he hears a scream from his sister. He goes to save her. And so I don't know, I can't quite separate whether I was just loving the character and like his determination and just again, like how wholesome and, and cool this kid is. But also um, this young actor, I know he was in the second movie too. So, so um, maybe there was something there, but I was just, he, he just seemed really genuine and he was really giving it his all. Um, I, I don't, I don't typically get that out of 80s child actors. You know? Oh, definitely um, not. Like, like, this kid, like, Leonardo DiCaprio was in Critters 3, and I still think that this kid gives the best child performance in the Critters franchise. Like, if I had to guess. Um, I don't know, I was, I was really feeling it. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a fan of this dude. I think he's going to be, Scott Grimes is going to be my new Tammy Holbrook. <laughs> <laughs> I already have Billy right. Zane, so... Okay, so I think that's that, pretty much. Uh, let's move into final thoughts. So, let's start with Liam. What did you think, overall, about Critters? This movie, it uh, it was good. I liked it. Um, but the thing is that it just it didn't appeal like to my sensibilities, I think, because it didn't do anything remarkable. Everything it did was 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 well done, and it was um, and it was good. Like we talked about the lighting, I liked the lighting. Um, again, the performances I thought were good. I liked I liked the typical structure. It was engaging throughout uh, narratively, um, but it just it didn't really have anything that would that would push it into the territory of you know something that I would I would really remember. And that's just because I'm not super into the the kind of B movie cheese if if that's all there is to it. And for me, there wasn't a lot else to it. Um, you know. 
so the four months of nostalgia that I had might not have been enough. I can, I can see latching onto this movie as a kid if, if, if it were on cable or something, because it, it's totally it's totally fun and it's cool. So because of that, I, I'd give it like a soft recommend to um, to people that are just, you know, wouldn't mind sitting down for an hour or so. And then it would be a hard recommend to people that are that are super into this kind of creature feature comedy horror uh, you know, fun time. It's, it's, it's sort of, you know, any way you look at it, it's kind of fun. And so I'd give it a six out of 10. Um, you know, it's, it's totally cool. That's what I think of Critters. Sweet. Awesome. Tim. Um, in a sense, I agree with Liam, but only in a sense The it's true that Critters doesn't do anything revolutionary. It's not the original alien. It doesn't break new ground and captivate the whole nation for months and months after its release but like i mentioned before it's sincere and it's genuine which is hard enough to find in any movie but especially in this era of 80s b stuff and the other thing that really elevates my opinion of this movie is um that i'm a content creator myself i write i make music i dabble in a few other things i love comedy and i love horror doing them both at the same time is astronomically difficult uh, I think it might be the hardest, the two hardest genres to successfully combine. Um, I've never even attempted it myself, but yet that's how difficult I, I think it is. Um, but this movie strikes that balance so well between really good design of the creatures and suspense building and pacing in the beginning, um, recognizing that the, the thing you don't see for a while is more scary in your own mind and that builds the tension. And then when they finally show up, they're these stupid furry little assholes that like just break shit and they occasionally talk and they, they say funny shit. And then when they're off creating chaos off screen somewhere, you have these bounty hunters that are alternately kind of intimidating and, and kind of just grouch on Marxy. And uh, it's a lot of movies that try to do horror and comedy just suck at both. But um, whoever, wrote this and i don't know off the top of my head did a really good job and the cast does a really good job of blending those two feelings together so for me um all in all i'd say a nine out of ten definitely one of my favorites from that era damn okay sweet cool man okay eric all right so of all the knockoff films that attempted to uh ride the coattails of gremlins in the 80s uh critters is probably the best uh, it's focusing on the just the single family struggle against the titular monsters instead of an entire town gives the film a really solid direction and allowed them to rely on character development to make the audience feel suitably distressed by the time that the Brown family is in true peril. Uh, the fact that the movie or that the family sticks together and each takes their turn standing up to the Crite menace makes it stand out among its contemporaries because everybody gets involved. While the film tends to meander and focus on some tertiary characters, it all ultimately does come together to create a charming feature that sells the idea of a small town plunged into chaos quite well. It might waste some of its opportunities, and there are more than a few plot holes, but overall it's just a really fun ride. It's uh, pretty self-aware and has references to other sci-fi and horror films, such as The Name of the Cat and uh, the bit with the E.T. doll in the bedroom. Uh, in the end, it's probably my favorite horror film that I watched as a kid, and I enjoyed it just as much watching it for this podcast as I did when I was eight. Uh, I love every tongue-in-cheek minute of it, and I would recommend it to anyone and everyone. I give it a 10 out of 10. It's one of my favorite movies. Wow. Okay. Awesome. 
It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to let you down. Don't don't worry. Okay. (laughs) So I'm just going to briefly touch on like some technicals before we continue on. So although like the sound mixing and sound perspective is off at a few points, that's not enough to detract from the technical prowess of the rest of the film. Like in virtually every aspect this film succeeds on a technical level like the lighting and cinematography is fantastic the special effects aside from the miniatures and the um, starscapes are all very very well done and the lighting definitely aids that all the performances are solid as well there's really nothing in the film that is worse than solid overall this film plays on conventions really really well there's lots of great setup and payoff just on a plot level and with visuals for example just the slingshot that we see reused and the fireworks and whatnot that are reused um unfortunately i would say the script isn't as special as it could be because the whole point of a movie like this or tremors is that it's a wholesome small countryside town against alien technology and threats that they have not seen before and this kind of dynamic between a country town and an alien threat this is not played up to its fullest extent you know and that's partially due to the fact that the family although they have a nice like wholesome loving family dynamic their characters are never really developed individually they work well as a unit but they don't really act outside of that unit to be characters that we can really care about same with the town characters there's nothing special within the town characters they're just kind of a unit that acts against the alien force and never really encounters the alien force which renders a lot of their activity just superfluous to like the major plot and it seems like some of the movie is unfortunately reaching for time however despite this like tim already mentioned like comedy and horror work really really well together in this film there are a lot of moments of really solid comedy that don't um, oppose the horror aspects so Overall, this film is really, really solid and really successful in a lot of what it does. However, the few issues with the script and character development and sound perspective, even though that's just such a minor thing, they bring it down a tiny bit. So I would give this movie a 6 plus out of 10, and I would recommend it to fans of 80s horror and creature films as a kind of unique film. Okay, so that's what I had to say. So we have two, like kind of um, slightly above average scores and we have two like really really high scores so that's kind of nice nice rounding it out you know yeah I just need to be I need to be a more fun person man like, my favorite <laughs> food is Brussels sprouts like, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> because you know this, this movie yeah it's, it's totally cool Check yeah out, yeah everybody. he does to legalize a pot next year so <laughs> yeah we're recording every op- episode of this podcast well high <laughs> It'd be more fun. Yeah. Anyway, so does anyone have every anything else you guys would like to mention before we say adios? Maybe we should do Critters Two and Three and Four at some point. Ooh. Ooh. Maybe Critters Two because Critters Two is is fun because they they switch it up where this movie kind of plays it you know kind of 
runs that line between comedy and horror, Critters 2 just kind of leans way into like self-parody and, and self-awareness, and it's a lot more silly, but it's fun. It's a good mm. movie, but it's, it's a hell of a lot more silly. Yeah, kind of like how the Nightmare series developed. Yeah, it's like like in this uh, in this movie they play Power of the Night over and over again. When in the second movie they do the same joke, except there's a uh, local burger barn called the Hungry Heifer, and it has like a jingle, and they just keep playing the Hungry Heifer jingle over and over again in the movie. Like it's a play on the gag from the first movie, and the critters have a few more silly lines. They do some overtly co- almost cartoonish stuff in the movie, so it's played for more of laughs than anything else. So it's a good movie. After that, three and four are terrible flicks. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's it, folks. I'll see you all next time. Adios. Later. Later, guys. Peace. Okay. Killed it. Killed it, yeah.